Thank you, Caitlin. Good morning, everybody. We awake? All right. We excited to hear from God's Word? My name is Pastor Tori Arneson. I'm your teaching pastor, but I hope to do more than, than teach. I don't come here on Sundays to just get a lesson. I want to encounter God, and I want to learn about Him, and I want to worship Him, and I hope it's the same for you. So, sometimes, is it not true that God's voice can seem quiet and other people's voices can seem very loud and in our face? And sometimes, is it not true for you that God can seem very small in our lives and other people can seem very big? Have you ever seen the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? It's with Rick Moranis. And he accidentally, in making this device, shrinks his kids with it. And the whole movie they spend trying to find them and get them back to normal size. But did you know there was also a movie called Honey, I Blew Up the Kid? And he had a son named Adam, who was about three years old, are we thinking about maybe four, I don't know, something. And he accidentally had his kid Adam shot by that same device, which maybe he shouldn't make these devices anymore, And his kid, Adam, gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where he's the size of King Kong or Godzilla, roaming around Las Vegas, destroying everything, scared. People are shouting at him. It's loud. It's chaotic. And so, of course, Rick Moranis and his wife want to get their son, Adam, back to normal size. So they have a couple plans. The first plan is they're going to blow up his pet bunny, which he sometimes takes naps on because they have to get Adam to stand still for 12 seconds in order to zap them back to normal size. But if you know three-year-olds or four-year-olds or something, they can be hard to stand still for 12 seconds, no matter how much you want them to. And so they blow up his pet bunny. Hopefully he'll take a nap on it. That doesn't work. The military come in, and they want to zap him with tranquilizers and make him stop. That doesn't work. Nothing's working. It's chaotic. chaotic. The crowd is loud. Adam's freaking out, breaking stuff. Huge. What ends up working is the idea they had to blow up his wife, Adam's mom. Not just the same size as Adam, but bigger than Adam. Her normal size, bigger than Adam. So her voice, when she calls out to Adam, cuts through all the chaotic voices and the chaos that Adam heard. And her presence became bigger than all the other presence around Adam, and she's able to calm him down and get him to stand still for 12 seconds, and then Rick Moranis zaps them back both back to normal size. What Adam needed was a voice and a presence that was bigger than all of the other voices and presence around him. So, we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've told you that we have a 70-mile walk as Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And we're going to learn a lot of things on the way. And when he gets to Jerusalem, there's going to be a lot more drama that happens where the king teaches us about the kingdom before he's then crucified and raised from the dead. Spoiler alert, in case you didn't know. But we actually only have one more stop before he gets into Jerusalem. And this one stop is what Caitlin just read for us this morning, where he stops in Jericho and encounters these two blind men. So he's now in Jericho, about 14 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Last stop, next week he's going to enter into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, which we'll talk about then. But for now, let's learn and let's encounter God with what he's shown us this morning as he encounters these two blind men. So here's the main idea I have for you 
based on today's text in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. Here it is. We can cry out to God. Even with opposition, he is an approachable and compassionate servant king. We can cry out to God even when we have opposition, and we will. He is an approachable and compassionate servant king. So here's how I'm going to break that down for our roadmap. We've got three points. First of all, we see how we can cry out to God. These two, these two blind men in desperation cry out to, to, to Jesus in verses 29 to 30. Desperate cry from two blind men. They receive opposition. We receive opposition in life in crying out to God. This crowd tries to dismiss them, so we're going to talk about this dismissive crowd, but also their, determ- their determination for Jesus to heal them. Dismissive crowd meets these determined men in verse 31. And then finally, we see Jesus act. Jesus approaches these men. We see a demonstration of our compassionate servant king. He acts what he preaches. He's, he's the servant of all, including to these two beggars. So, first of all, a desperate cry from two blind men. We see that in verses 29 to 30. Let me refresh your memory. As they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, two things. I have to mention very quickly questions about possible contradictions in the Gospels. Now, when I, when I practiced this message yesterday, the person that I practiced this to said, shorten this, most people don't care at all, so I'm going to make it really, really short, but I have to mention it. <laughs> then we're going to talk about this cry for help from these two blind men. So, real quick, there's questions, you might have, you might have heard them, where you're reading one Gospel and then you read another Gospel and you think some of these details are about dif- a, a bit different. How does that make sense? Are they contradicting each other? There's a couple questions in this narrative in Matthew, having to do with Jericho and having to do with the number of blind men. You can ask me about Jericho later if you want to. I'm going to tell you real quickly about this question about the blind men. In the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, it says, as he's in Jericho, there's one blind man. Here in Matthew, he tells us two blind men approach Jesus. So does that mean there's a contradiction? Are they telling different stories? Blah, blah, blah. No. They're not. How many blind men were there? There were two. Mark and Luke emphasize one of them, while Matthew consistently gives us fuller details, that's what Matthew tends to do, than the other gospel writers, and so he tells us there were two. Sort of like when we read in the gospels, it says there was one angel at Jesus' empty tomb. This gospel writer tells us there were two. What's going on here? More details, doesn't mean you're telling not a true story. When you talk about something that happened in your life, you can fill in as many details as you want. Doesn't mean that somebody else has to give the same details of the same story or the same event that happened. Does that make sense? They were emphasizing perhaps the the blind man that was more vocal than the other one or the angel that spoke compared to the one that mentioned that didn't speak. So there were two blind men. Let's move on. Most of you don't care. So let's talk about this cry for help. These two blind men are sitting out on the street doubtlessly begging, blind, and they hear that Jesus is walking by, so they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Can we try just for a minute to put ourselves in the shoes of these blind men? Not only are they blind, would that not be a hard enough life as it is if you can't see anything? But on top of that, they don't have a family at home taking care of them. They're out on the street begging for food and begging for money, doubtlessly. 
And when they hear Jesus is coming by, they shout out, Lord, help us. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They were in a tough spot. They're blind. They're on the street. They're begging. Now, I don't think it's healthy to constantly compare our problems with other people's problems. If you talk to somebody and you're talking about something hard you're going through and they immediately say, well, I know this person or I'm going through this and it's worse than yours and your problem doesn't matter. (laughs) That's not very healthy to constantly be comparing our issues, our maybe long-term struggles with other people. Not a good idea to constantly do that. But every now and then, I think it's encouraging to remember that no matter how difficult our circumstance is, and you probably, I know some of you, have some things that are hard that have been going on for a long time. And it's encouraging at times to remember no matter how difficult it is and no matter how much you think that you're never going to get through it and that God doesn't care, there are people who have gone through worse circumstances than us that God has delivered. There are people that have gone through far worse circumstances than us that God has delivered. These two men when they hear that Jesus is passing by, cry out for help to him. So now I have to ask us, when we're going through something hard, no matter how long it is, we don't know how long these men were out on the road begging, day after day getting no response, getting no positive response, not being delivered, not being helped. Who do we turn to when we're going through difficult parts of life? If you're anything like me, and you are in a lot of ways, you probably look to yourself quite a bit, And you probably look to other people to help you quite a bit. You look for the solution. I can either do it myself or I can get help from other people. And there's nothing wrong with trying to fix things or with trying to get help from other people. And God will consistently let us fix our problems and get help from other people as a way for them to show care and service for us as we want to help other people. And that's all good and that's healthy and that's great. However, can we remember this morning that God never in his word tells us to put all our hope in ourselves or in other people. Show me the verse where it says, now put all your hope in so-and-so. And if that so-and-so is not God, show me that verse. <laughs> put all of your hope in yourself. Where does he tell us to do that? He doesn't. He tells us over and over again to put all of our hope in God alone. I think God is trying, as we follow after him, he's trying to shave away this idea in our mind that I can do this by myself. I can fix this problem in my life. He tells us over and over again that he is God alone, to look to him alone to deliver us, to help us. Now, these two blind men, what were they asking for deliverance for? They weren't asking in that moment to be saved spiritually, to be forgiven of their sins and to, to go to heaven. They were asking for God, for the Messiah, Jesus, to heal them of their blindness. Our biggest problem, all of us, is to be saved from eternal death, which is led to by our sin, right? Our mistakes that are not brought before God and not forgiven, death that leads to spiritual death, separation from God, all of our biggest problems. But that doesn't mean we can't go to God with our other issues as well in life. To be delivered, whether that be physically, emotionally, relationally, economically, whatever it is, he wants us to approach him with those issues, no matter how long they've been going on, no matter how severe they are. He wants us to go to him. He wants us to believe that he is the one primarily responsible for our lives. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, 
I will not want. Does it say that I am my shepherd? Does it say that someone that you know is your shepherd or this group of people or even your church? No. It says the Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. Tells us over and over again to look to him to deliver us, not just spiritually in many regards in our lives. How long were these blind men waiting to be delivered? How long were they crying out to God to rescue them and they didn't hear anything back? How long has it been for you? You know what it is. Or maybe you don't even have it yet in your life, but you need to remember this, what we're talking about now when it comes. How long has it been for you? Every now and then, I think we need to pray a kind of prayer when we've been going through something for a long period of time, something to the effect of, Lord, help me not be too crushed to continue to believe you. Lord, help me not be too weighed down and disappointed and crushed by this thing in my life that I don't go to you anymore with it. Psalm 119 says, Remember your word to your servant in which you've made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. Remember your word to your servant in which you've made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. Psalm 62, verse 1, I've been chewing on for a little while now. And in this Psalm 62, it tells us over and over again that God alone is our refuge. God alone is our rock. God alone is the one we look to 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 deliver us. And in Psalm 62, verse 1, the psalmist says, For God alone, my soul waits in silence. My salvation comes from him. And remember, salvation, that word deliverance, can have to do with spiritually, relationally, physically, whatever we need to be delivered, rescued from. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. My deliverance comes from him. When's the last time that you waited for God alone? Not God and, not God and this plan that I have. Waited for God alone to deliver you. Because when you do that, you're able to give God alone the glory for delivering you. It doesn't mean you can't thank other people if God brings people into your life to help answer that question or bring you what you've been looking for to be rescued from something or helped in something. Thank them. Absolutely. But don't praise them. Don't worship them. Don't give them the credit that only God deserves. He alone is our shepherd. He alone is our true deliverer. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. My deliverance comes from him. He will deliver us. He will. When we ask him to rescue us from our sins, to be adopted into his family, to be made more like Jesus, to have that sure hope of eternal life, that is a guarantee. He will deliver us. When we ask him for del- to deliver us in some other area of life, be it not spiritually, whatever it is in your life, you can believe that he will. I don't know when. I don't know the timing. I don't know how. But believe. Set your hope, as Peter says, fully. Not partially. Throw the crutches away. Take the training wheels off. Set your hope fully on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that will be revealed. 
these two men called out to Jesus. And you know, I think they saw something that those around them, many of those around them with eyes that worked, didn't see. Because not only did they cry out in desperation, Lord, have mercy on us, they then called him Son of David. That's a messianic title. They believed he's the one that God promised to David all those hundreds of years ago in 2 Samuel 7. He's the one that's going to reign on the throne forever. They called out in desperation. They called out in faith, a faith-filled cry. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And you know, we can cry out as well. We can cry out in faith as well. Even when there's opposition. Let's look at their opposition in verse 31. The crowd rebuked them telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd was dismissive, but they were determined. The crowd was dismissive. Maybe they saw these two blind men outside of Jericho day after day, begging day after day. Maybe they were irritated with them, and so they tried to shut them up. Maybe they thought, nobody can help you. You've been there for so long. Jesus can't help you. Nobody can help you. Just be quiet. Maybe they were annoyed by them. Maybe they didn't want them to monopolize the time of Jesus. Whatever the reason was, these people that were following Jesus, by the way, hearing his teaching, seeing some of his miracles, following Jesus, see these two blind men crying out for Jesus, and they're saying, shh, stop it. Do you know that people who are genuine followers of Christ can be hindrances to other people to know God? I think you know that, don't you? Because guess what? All of us here who are genuinely following after Jesus, have been hindrances in some way or another to other people knowing God. I'm guessing, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that you probably haven't heard someone, like a neighbor of yours, saying, I really want to know God. God, speak to me, please. And you're like, shh, stop it. (laughs) I'm guessing you haven't done that. But how many people, even though they're not audibly saying out loud, I want to know God, help me know God, Jesus, help me Jesus, and you're... Maybe they're not audibly doing it, but how many people in their heart and their soul are yearning to know the Lord and something you've said or something you've done have discouraged them to pursue the Lord? Can we just own that, all of us? None of us have perfectly modeled Christ. None of us have followed after the footprints of the servant king perfectly. We have been hindrances to other people. And people, many, want to know the Lord. People of all walks of life, people all over the world The rich, the poor, beggars on the street, those that the world doesn't care about, God cares about. Those that the world wants to shush up, God speaks to. And I have to mention quickly, I don't have all the answers of how we're supposed to respond to every single person that encounters us in life. Is that a surprise? I hope you don't think I know. (laughs) I really don't. And when someone approaches, maybe you go somewhere and there's beggars, someone that comes up to you in Troy, I've talked to many of them and wherever you live, and they come up to you and they want to talk to you. I don't know always what you're supposed to say, how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to do. I don't know. But I do know, as we follow after this king, he softens our hearts for the needy, for the poor. It's mentioned over and over and over and over again, and we can find ways to use the talents, the gifts, the resources, our time for people that approach us in that way and to be able to serve like he does. We can do that. And I'm proud to be part of a church that not that long ago, 
there's some gals in a Bible study. Melissa, Jariah, Anna had this idea to make up. They were reading the Bible. And inevitably, in, in wanting to, to learn and follow God, all this talk of trying to serve people and help people, they put together, they raised some money, they put together these care packages with food and clothing and information of where people can go if they want to get help, like the Capital City Rescue Mission and Joseph's House and Unity House and all this information. And they put it together and they passed a bunch of them out so that people can give them to people that they encounter in those kinds of situations. And I think, wow, that's great a tangible way to serve. We can find ways to serve in those ways. This crowd was dismissive. May we be those that even though we know we're hindrances at times, keep getting back up and following after Jesus and saying, Lord, how can I reflect you? How can I help serve you? How can I help bring people to you rather than push them away? But you know, sometimes people are persistent even when there's roadblocks in the way, even when there's hindrances. And these two men were. They were determined, and they cried out the same words again. After the crowd's trying to shut them up, they say again, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They didn't come up with some alternative, fancy, longer prayer. They didn't try to say something that maybe if we just call him the, the, the son of God from Nazareth, or maybe if we just change this or that, then maybe he'll hear us. No. From the heart, they cried out the same words, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David. This was no vain repetition. They're crying out to God what they're experiencing. Do you know that God wants us to continue to approach him with our requests? God wants us to keep knocking. God wants us to keep approaching him. Approach boldly the throne of grace in your time of need, it says in the book of Hebrews. He wants us to keep going to him. Don't stop. There's a parable in Luke chapter 18, and some parables, you got to do a little digging, you got to do a little research to find out what he's trying to teach us in it. Not in Luke chapter 18, the parable of the persistent widow. He tells us in verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's like, here's the point of it. Always pray, don't lose heart. Now here's a parable about it. Here's a story about it. Always pray, don't lose heart. By the way, that's what my shirt says pretty much based on that verse, just kind of showing it off. I love this shirt. I need the reminder all the time myself, okay? And maybe it's a little cheesy. I don't care if you have, you have ways of being able to, to bring up conversations with people. I've had people say, hey, I kind of like your shirt. What does that mean? And I'm like, let me tell you about it. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Where was I? So always pray and don't give up. Paul says in Romans 15, I appreciate to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers. Strive. Effort. You're going to want to quit at times. You're going to want to stop asking. You're going to say, I've been praying this for years, and it seems like I'm hearing nothing in response, and I want to stop. And can I just say, oh man, sometimes God's going to put people in your life when you want to stop asking, and you do stop asking for a period of time, but they ask for you, and what a gift that is. It's the kind of community we want to have here. We want to be plugged in to the kind of, the kind of church where when we're, where we feel like we're done asking, there's people alongside us that say, I'm going to keep asking for you. Whether you ask me or not, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep going to our God of grace who hears our prayers, and I'm going to ask. He wants us to keep approaching, keep asking, keep knocking, keep going 
to him, whatever works. You pray in the morning. Are you an evening kind of praying person? Do you, do you go for prayer walks? Do you need to do a prayer journal? I started doing that again recently, and that helps me right now. Whatever works. Now, let me tell you a quick story. I never met my grandpa. I never met either my grandpa. But on my mom's side, my mom's dad, I've heard quite a bit about him from my mom. And he came to know Jesus in his 30s. And his little sister at the time, a couple years younger than him, didn't come to know Jesus when he did. But do you know what happens when you genuinely find out who Jesus is and who you are and what he's done for you and you actually give your life to him? What happens is you're like, this is the best thing in the world by far. And when really good things happen to us, what do we do? We want to tell people about it. Especially those that we know and care about. So he becomes a Christian and he wants his little sister to also know Jesus and give her life to Jesus. And so he prays for her. And she doesn't do it. A year passes. He keeps praying for her. Another year passes. Etc., etc. 32 years later, his little sister gives her life to Jesus. Is there anything more beautiful than stories like that? I, I, don't, I don't think so. He kept asking. He kept approaching He kept saying, Lord, I know who you are and what you've done for me, and I want that for my little sister. And a year later, he died. (laughs) I never met him, but that story grips me. Our prayers never die. They never die. (laughs) Keep praying and don't lose heart. (laughs) They had opposition. The crowd was trying to shut them up. You know, it seems... Like more and more so, and I'm not going to get all gloom and doom here, but it seems a bit more and more so the world's really trying to shut us up and stop our conversations with God. Can I just encourage you, don't stop. Don't stop. The king hears us. He heard them. He hears us. Don't stop. Jesus responded. He acted. Acted. And we see this demonstration of our compassionate servant king in verses 32 to 34. Our servant king. And speaking of stopping, look at verse 32. We'll start 32 to 34. This demonstration from our our compassionate servant king. It says, and stopping, let me just stop right there. And stopping, Jesus stopped. There's this quote from Charles Spurgeon on this passage that says, desperate faith-filled cries can hold the son of God by the feet. Here's those prayers. I love that. Jesus stopped, and he turns, and he walks to those blind men, and he speaks to them. Do you know that God wants us to stop every now and then? I'm talking to a Northeast culture. I know you guys. I know that many of you are very, very busy, like myself. Are you busy? Do you have a lot on the calendar? Now, first of all, can I say, there's nothing wrong with having a full calendar that you've put you filled it with things that are, that are helpful and good and you're intentional and wonderful. Good. However, two things. First of all, are you going so hard that you're not resting? Because even though the, the Sabbath is not commanded in the new covenant for us to observe the way it was in the old covenant, it's still very much a strong principle. We're not meant to go 100% of the time all the time. Batteries run out, rest. Okay, secondly, that wasn't even planned. Secondly, what was the second one? Secondly, 
Don't be so busy that you don't have time for the divine appointments. Do you know that God prepared beforehand, like before you were born, good works that you should walk in them? Like he's got things planned in your life. So that means sometimes you're going through your day and you got all the things that you're checking off and somebody wants to talk to you that you didn't have planned to talk to you that day. Or something happens where you go in a different direction and you're doing something else and there's some divine appointment, which hear me, could be by far the most important part of your day. And you didn't plan it, but God did. Divine appointment. You following me? Don't be so busy that you can never do those things. <laughs> okay, I think we get it. I'm going to move on. And stopping. Let's keep going in verse 32. Jesus called them and said, what, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. <laughs> we have here an approachable king and a servant king. We have an approachable king and a servant king. An approachable king. You got two blind men on the road saying, Lord, help us. Have mercy on us, son of David. And what does the king do? He walks over to him and says, what can I do for you? Is that what kings normally do? Do kings normally set aside time to go talk to beggars on the street? Or do they fill all of their time talking to the important people? They talk to the important people. Okay, they don't set aside time for that. How about kings 2,000 years ago? Was it different? Uh, no. <laughs> it says in Esther chapter 4, verse 11, all the king's servants, this is Persian kings, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. Did you catch that? So Persian kings, the law was, everyone knew, you can't just go talk to the king. The automatic rule is you're dead if you do that. You're put to death. Unless they put up the golden scepter saying, ah, it's fine. They can come talk to me. Does that sound like too much power that any individual should have? Can you imagine if you had that power, would any of your siblings be alive? How dare you approach me? I didn't summon you. And you put them to death. No one should have that kind of power. But fortunately, the one true king isn't like that. He calls them over. And he speaks to them. And can you imagine, put yourselves in those those blind beggar shoes again. You're hearing all these voices telling you to be quiet, telling you to stop calling out, telling you to just sit there, stop it. All these discouraging words. And then Jesus speaks. Do you think they cared? Do you think they cared about all the other voices in that moment? No. They didn't care at all about those other voices. Jesus was speaking to them. His voice cut through all the other voices. Giant mom, Adam's mom, cut through all those voices, and now he's paying attention, and now they're listening. Jesus speaks to them. What does he say? Verse 32, what do you want me to do for you? Don't you love Jesus' questions? <laughs> you think he knew what they wanted? What do you want me to do for you? And they respond, Lord, let our eyes be opened. That's a good request, isn't it? That's a, a request for deliverance. That's a request for help from the Messiah. They ask for help. Good requests. We can go to God for all of our requests for deliverance, for rescue, no matter what it is. No matter what it is. It's unlike the bad request last week. Can we just take a second? Remember last week? 
Pastor Rob was up here. Hey, everybody, I'm Pastor Rob and all that. And then he talked about, I'm sorry, he talked about the, the sons of thunder, James and John and their mother that approached Jesus. And the mother says, Lord, I have a request for you. And they approached him. And she said, can my sons here, James and John, in your kingdom, can they sit on your right and on your left? Would you give them that power and that honor to be on your right and on your left? I think she learned something not too long after that. In John chapter 19, 35, she's at the scene where Jesus is being crucified, where he's dying for the sins of the world in agony. And she looks up and she sees two men on his right and on his left, but they're not on thrones, they're on crosses. And I think she learned something. We often ask the wrong questions. You don't have because you don't ask rightly. She learned something. God didn't come for the kinds of things that we might have guessed that he came for. He came to rescue. He came to serve, to be the servant of all. He's not only approachable, he's the compassionate servant king. And he practiced what he taught. He's out there being the servant, not only of the powerful and of the rich and of the important people, but of these two beggars. He's the servant even of beggars. Can we be reminded today that there is no human being that is under us? Do you know that? No one. People made in the image of God, people that Jesus died for. He practiced what he taught. Okay, now I'm going to say that thing where I say I close, but it's really like five more minutes. <laughs> Planes landing. These two men asked for their eyes to be opened. Good request. But I want to address two groups of people here, okay? Our greatest request, our greatest need of deliverance, of rescue, is for God to save us from the spiritual death, that second death that the Bible talks about. Our sin leads to death. You know why it feels like it's just not right when people die that you love and it just, nothing feels right about that. They were alive and now they're not and we're not meant to die. What's wrong with this? The world is so great, but it's so awful. At the same time, something went really, really wrong a long time ago in Genesis 3 with the fall. And because of sin, we die physically. But far more severe than that, we don't just die physically. Without Jesus, without being forgiven, we die spiritually. That's what hell is all about. Separation from God forever. Paying for all those mistakes that we've made. I guarantee you, no matter how terrible and some problems you have, no matter how long they've been going on, compared to that problem of sin that leads to death, they are mosquito bites compared to that problem. So here's the first group of people I want to talk to. If you're here and you've never... You've never said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm going to die. And oh, now, if you never heard this before, that leads to eternal separation from God. And if you've never said, Lord, forgive me of my mistakes, heal me, be my Lord and my Savior. You came to die in my place. You lived for me and you died for me. That's what he did. It's a gift. You can't do it. You can't earn it. Just accept it. If you haven't been delivered in that way, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Ask him. Ask him. Get involved in the community here. People will help answer those questions for you and walk alongside you. 
Second group of people, if you're here and you have asked God to deliver you, you've confessed your sins, you're a believer, it's most of us here, right? But there's something in your life that you've been asking for deliverance for. It might not be spiritual, it might be something else. You know what it is. And it seems like he's not listening and it seems like he's been silent. Here's what I want to tell you. When he was dying on the cross, people shouted to him, he saved others, let him save himself. They saw some of his power and how he mercifully healed others. Maybe they were thinking of this specific example where he healed these two blind men in an instant, something that's impossible to do. He did that, let him save himself. And yet Jesus, with all the power of God, did not rescue himself. He stayed. He died for our sins. He gave up. He released his spirit. He died for us so that we know when we cry out to God, we are heard. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He heard silence for the first time ever. Within the Godhead, this perfect loving relationship, now when he cries out for the first time in all eternity, he hears nothing back. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He heard silence. And he was cast out into the outer darkness for us. Into the darkness. So that we know, because of him, the light of the world has come. And he brings us into the light. He transfers us from the kingdom of the devil to the kingdom of God. And he hears our prayers. And we can know without a shadow of a doubt that when we cry out to him, no matter what we're asking for, he knows, he hears, and he's answering for our best interest. We might not know what that is, but he hears and he is answering. Believe it. Have your soul wait for God alone to deliver you. And you know what? Praise him in advance, even before he does it, because that's what he does. He hears us. He answers us. He cares about us. He's working for our good. Believe it. Let his voice be bigger than all those voices around you, even in your own head. And let his presence be bigger than all the people around you that may be telling you differently. The voice and the presence of our servant king. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're going to take communion and we're going to praise you for what you did for us, for dying in our place, for giving your body and shedding your blood for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord. All of our biggest problem, you have delivered us. We are delivered. And as your word says, as we know that physical death is a reality, the sting of sin is gone. We have eternal life in you. We don't have to fear being separated. We don't have to fear for paying for our sins. You paid for all of them. And Lord, if anyone's here who hasn't done that, would you tug on them? Would you bring them to yourself, Lord? Help us come alongside them to ask for that forgiveness that you so freely did in our place. And Father, as we ask you for help, for rescue in other areas of our lives, in places we've been struggling 
and struggling, maybe some of us for years. Lord, may we again hear your voice above the rest. May we believe and know that you have our best interests at heart. You have not forgotten us. You have not left us. Lord, you answer and you rescue. And may we give you, Lord, all the praise and the glory for being our true servant king. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.